I was going to bring, Aubrey, I was going to bring a, 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 a photograph of my twin sister, Leslie, and I from 1972. I was a little knucklehead. We were sitting on the front steps of our house. My, my twin sister and I were, and we were go, going to church for our confirmation, 1972, the right Reverend Samuel B. Chilton. I do remember that. And I remember I had a book of common prayer, which I probably opened on the day it was given to me uh, and probably haven't seen it in 30 years, that old book I got at my confirmation. But it's so great to be here for y'all's confirmation. And I'm so glad that, unlike me, you actually know Jesus, right? My confirmation was all ceremony and no faith. And so I'm so happy to go to God's word where we see God pursuing Saul, somebody who hated the church, who persecuted the Lord himself, and yet he, God pursued him and actually brought him to faith. So if you'll open Acts chapter 9, starts out, and I love the first two words. The first two words are, but Saul. And that's awesome, but I almost wish they had said, but God. This whole passage is not really so much about Saul. It's really about what God does. All through scripture, we keep seeing this phrase, but God. We have a lady in our church, young lady, who recently got a tattoo. Imagine that. Got a tattoo, and it says, but God, comma. But here in this passage, it starts out, but Saul. So we're going to find out what's happening. But Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So Saul, here's a snapshot of a man named Saul. You'll later know him as Paul. Very good. You've read your Bibles. Um, Saul, and in this snapshot of the video, um, he is a man who hates the church of Jesus Christ. He hates it with a passion. He hates Christians with a passion. And it says he was breathing threats and murder. And actually, the Greek here is he was... He was breathing in. He, his nostrils were flamed. He was sucking in so much hatred for Jesus and the followers of Jesus known as the way. He was consumed with hatred. He was on a mission to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. That may sound familiar. He was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Um, Galatians says this about Paul. It says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. And uh, that was the story of Saul. He was a Jewish man who hated Jesus, hated his church, and was doing everything possible to annihilate them. He was, if you want to more recent picture, almost like one of Adolf Hitler's um, Gestapo. And he made it his life mission to annihilate Christians, even women. Um, He hated Jesus so much. And it says, he went and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Now, I find this interesting. First of all, help me with geography. I'm an American. I don't even know where South Dakota is, okay? Seriously, some of y'all don't either. South Dakota. Um, where the heck is Damascus? Y'all can't answer. Y'all too can't answer. Where's Damascus? Syria. So it's not in Israel. So he's going to take a, a long trip, 150 miles. It, it's a, a week to walk there, right? Walk. Walk. 
And why do you think he would go on such a long trip to someplace out of his country? Because he was breathing in with such hatred. Like hatred knows no bounds. When you're filled, when you're breathing in, sucking in hatred, um, you, will, you will go anywhere, you'll spend any price. And so he was going out of his own country up to where Jews uh, had relocated to Damascus. And he was looking for anybody that belonged to the way. Uh, now, there was a cult when I was growing up. Most of you are too young to remember there's a cult called The Way. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in the Bible, the early Christians, they were, they were said to be on The Way, people of The Way. Like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through the Son. And so he goes up to Damascus. He's looking for any Christians, and he's looking high and low, much like Kristallnacht or, again, as you can imagine, Hitler sending his troops in to find, are there Jewish people here? This is almost reversed in that he's trying to find, are there any followers of the way here? Are there any Christians here? Because we're going we're gonna to imprison them, and I'm going to haul them back 150 miles to jail where they can be killed. And so it goes on. As he approaches Damascus on his religious uh, journey here, it says suddenly something, and this is the but God part. Okay, so now we hear all about Saul, but all of a sudden God is entering stage right. It says, uh, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around Saul, a light from heaven. The thing I, I, I realize in all the gospel is it's always about what God does. We were talking yesterday with one of the compromands about predestination and election. And I said, boy, that's a long conversation. But what I want to tell you is the gospel is always what God does for us. We're helpless. We don't know our left hands from our right hands. All we like sheep go astray. And it's only by God's mercy that he enters in and saves us. We are unable in any way to rescue ourselves. And the gospel is that God comes to people who, who cannot help themselves at all. It's impossible for us to make the right choice to embrace God. He comes to us. And so this amazing thing happens to, to Saul. Suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. He falls to the ground and now he hears a voice, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I don't know how many of you guys are from the South, but in the South, when your mama says your name twice, you're in trouble. <laughs> Quig, Quig, or it gets worse, Raymond Quig Lawrence Jr., God here is calling Saul by name, just like he did uh, Moses and I think Jacob and so many others. He's saying, Saul, Saul. It's one, to get his attention, but number two, the Lord is not playing around. He knows this man. He loves this man. Even though this man is doing great harm to his church and hates the son, Jesus is basically saying in a tender way, Saul, Saul, it's important. I need you to hear me. I need you to listen to me. This is important. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? No, hold on. I'm confused. How could Saul persecute Jesus? Jesus, is Jesus alive on the earth at this point? No. So help me out. I'm, as Columbus says, I'm confused. How could Saul be persecuting Jesus, who's already raised, been raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven? The Bible tells us, doesn't it? He says, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. So if you do something good to the least of these, our brothers, you've done it to Jesus. If you do something bad to the least of these, our brothers, you've done it to Jesus. So he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was taking this personally. You ever wonder 
does God care about me? Does he care about my life? You bet he does. And when you suffer, he suffers. When you're persecuted, he suffers. He knows what you're going through. He cares. So the story goes on. Um, after the Lord speaks and says, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? This is the most amazing, to me, the most amazing verse in the whole passage. And, and Saul says back to Jesus, who are you? Who are you? Well, I'm confused. I thought Saul was a man of God, a zealous uh, Pharisee, Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, as to the law, blameless. Would you say he's a religious man? Would you? Would you say he was a man on a mission for God? He thought so. And yet, when the Lord himself speaks and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then what, is, what words come out of his mouth? He goes, who are you? Comfort man's listen to me. That was me on my confirmation day, right? I had all this religious activity. I was an acolyte. I've been wearing a dress. Y'all don't wear dresses here. I've been wearing a dress as a pastor on Sunday mornings, not, not during the week, y'all, but as a pastor on Sunday mornings. I've been wearing a dress since I was 11 years old. I went to church to, you know, two, sun, um, two services every Sunday. And why did I do that? Was it because I loved Jesus? No. I loved church. I loved the old rector who was kind to me because I didn't have a dad. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't hate him, but I didn't know him. So at my confirmation, it was a ceremony. We had a ceremony because I had no relationship with Jesus. That's why I never read my Bible. That's why I never opened the prayer book. That's why I could go to church and do all these things like a robot, but I had no heart connection to the Lord. And, but here we see Jesus calling, goes, and Saul goes, well, who are you? That's the question. Do you know the Lord? The, one of the greatest places to hide as a religious person is in a, in a pew. Because if you come into the pew, everybody assumes that you're a follower of Jesus and that you know him. And yet we know that so many that sit in our pews have never uh, known the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. They've never known him personally. And how sad is that? It's like going to a birthday party of somebody you don't know. I did that for 20 years. I went to a birthday party for somebody I don't know. Do you know how boring that is? <clears throat> Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And much to Saul's uh, astonishment, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine being Saul at that moment? Like so religious, so faithful, as to the law, blameless. And all of a sudden he's on his back and the king of kings and the Lord of lords is speaking to him, asking him, why are you persecuting me? And he says, I, who are you? And, and he tells him, he says, I am Jesus. Could you imagine his shock? This is like an Alfred Hitchcock thing. This is like a, like a short story. It has a twist at the end. And all of a sudden, Saul's like, oh, my, oh, my God. Oh, oh, my God. You are God. Jesus. Jesus. He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And right away, Jesus establishes who is king and who is Lord. He says, but he goes, I want you to arise and enter the city, and you're going to be told what you have to do. If you have a God that you tell what to do, uh, he's actually not a God. He's, you're, you're being your own God. Do you know that the Lord has a will and a command? He has a, he's a king with a kingdom, and he actually has plans for your life and the people around you. And if you will listen to him, right, he will, he will give you his will and his way in which to walk. Part of that is the scriptures. Some of that comes through prayer. 
He says, I want you to rise, go to the city, you'll be told what to do. And it says, the men who are traveling with him stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. And Saul got up, rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. In other words, after seeing this amazing light, I've heard it described as a brighter than an arc welder's light, like a million times brighter, the presence of the Lord. He, he dwells in light and accessible. And all of a sudden, Saul gets up. His eyes were opened. He saw nothing. He was led by the hand, and they brought him actually into the city of Damascus. And there for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I can't even remember in my entire life, unless I had the flu, that I didn't eat or drink for three days. Our church, we do fasting, right? And we're terrible at it. Like during Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, a lot of our people fast. And we were telling everybody, yeah, we need to fast because that's what good Anglicans do. That's what good Christians do. And y'all, by about 3.30, I was so hungry. <laughs> so I said, well, now, <clears throat> would it be really, I'd still be fasting technically if I don't eat solid food. So I went over to Elderberries, which is a smoothie shop, and they had this thing called a peanutter, which is like muy, muy grande. It's about 4,000 calories, but it was liquid, so I figured I wasn't fasting. And I was feeling a little sheepish being a, a bishop, <laughs> fasting. But then I looked up, and four or five of my parishioners were there doing the exact same thing. So I need to grow in fasting. But here we see... Saul did not eat or drink for three days. Man, the Lord had touched him. He had blown his mind. And, and I think he probably had great sorrow. He probably had joy of meeting the Lord, but he also had sorrow over his sin of killing the Lord's people. His eyes were beginning to be opened. And so let's finish the story because we don't have long. But it says, now there was a disciple at Damascus uh, named Ananias. Ananias means gift of the Lord. And oh boy, isn't Ananias going to be a gift of the Lord to Saul? Ananias, it says, the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, <clears throat> Ananias, uh, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, I want you to rise and go to a street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. See, God has a plan. He's going to use Ananias, who is, a, who is a follower of Jesus in Damascus, to welcome this man who is trying to kill the followers of Jesus in Damascus. And so he's telling him that, 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 that Saul is going to have a vision, and so Ananias has this insight from the Lord. But then... Just like we said earlier, but God, and we said, but Saul, verse 13, we say, but Ananias. Ananias says, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. Right? I love Jesus. But now Jesus is asking me to do something that seems insane to me. What is he asking Ananias to do? To go, go towards a man who is a killer of Christians, who's trying to annihilate <clears throat> his family and friends in Damascus. That's why he came there, to annihilate him. <clears throat> so that they could be killed. And so uh, he basically Ananias says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And but the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he, uh, Saul, is, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I want you to go. 
this man Saul is a chosen instrument of mine. We see it all through scripture. I'm not saying there's no free will, but it certainly is an unlimited free will. God is the one who calls. God is the one who acts. Without him intervening, we would be unable to know him. And so we see here that um, he's actually chosen this man Saul, sinner that he is. He's chosen him to be his instrument of blessing before the Gentiles, before kings, before the children of Israel. Let me tell you something. Those of you who are coming forward for confirmation, this isn't so you can get a little plaque that you stick in your room and 25 years from now you have a vague memory of something you did in a ceremony. This service is so that you could basically draw a line in the sand or stick a, uh, stick a stick in the sand, if you will. Put a stake in the ground and say, I am unashamed of Jesus. He, is, he has called me to himself, and I am unashamed to tell you that I am a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to walk with him. I won't walk perfectly with him, but I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to follow him. As he gives me the grace, I'm going to serve him. He's a chosen instrument of mine. And then it goes in verse 16, almost near the end here. It says, for I will show him, Saul, I'm going to show him how much he will suffer for my namesake. I'm going to show this man Saul. He's been chosen by me. I love him, and I'm going to use him. But guess what? Uh, Unlike what you hear on TV, on the TV preachers, actually, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come die. He says, repent and follow me. Jesus didn't come just so you could have your best life now. He came so you could serve a king. But it's not about life enhancement. It's not about comfort. It's about the king and the kingdom. How much did Paul suffer? Turn with me real quick because we've got about two minutes left. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Or you could ask Siri. Siri, 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, says this. Paul's describing how much he did suffer. Remember the Lord said Paul's going to suffer? Saul's going to suffer? He sure does. It's, he goes in um, 2 Corinthians 11. He's, he's talking about his life. He says, um, am I a better one? Am I talking like a madman? With far greater labors and far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. 500 times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. Danger from the Gentiles, dangers in the city. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. And hunger and thirst often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from... Other things, there is this daily pressure on me of the anxiety of all the churches. And so Paul, in just that one uh, breath, is giving you a kind of a summary of how much he suffered. And if you actually were to go back and read that, it's quite astounding what he suffered. Now, let's go back to Acts and let's finish it. Because probably, probably the most outrageous thing is about ready to happen. So Ananias is afraid of this man Saul, and rightfully so, because he had been killing Christians. And he'd, been, he'd come to Damascus to kill people like Ananias and his family and his loved ones. But Ananias feared the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He believed the Lord. So it says Ananias departed, verse 17, he departed. He entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said this amazing thing. What does your Bible say? What, how does he address Saul? 
Okay, I know I'm also from the South, and everybody's brother. Hey, brother, how you doing? Brother doesn't always mean like you're my brother in Christ. It can mean we hunt together. Hey, brother, how you doing? <laughs> right? Or you went to UVA or Tech, and so did I, and so we say, hey, brother. Um, what he's saying here is astounding. Because the Lord had made clear to Ananias that he was to treat Saul as a brother, as a chosen instrument, he now, in spite of his feelings, in spite of his intellect, right, in spite of what he knew was a danger, the Lord's saying, no, you treat him as one of ours. And so Ananias in faith says, brother Saul. This would be much like a Jew speaking to the Gestapo, calling one of them brother. Is that shocking to you? This only can happen in the household of God. This type of mercy and forgiveness. I, I tell people all the time when they get married, I said, you know what? Uh, you get married, everybody cries when they go down the aisle. Everybody has hopes. Oh, this is going to be amazing. But I said, only Christians have access to agape love. Then there's only one factory of it in the cosmos. And it's actually not a building, it's a person. And it's only when we get the grace of God that we can love the way he loves And so we see Ananias stepping into the love of Jesus, calling him Brother Saul. Can you imagine how healing that was? For this man who hated Christians and was blind and had been fasting, all of a sudden the the man he had come to uh, hurt and imprison and lead to his death calls him Brother. That's what we have the power to do. What you bind on earth will be bound. What you loose will be loosed. We have the power to forgive, and it is, it is powerful, and it is intoxicating, and it is life-changing. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Last verse. It says, and immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. You know what? I, I understand that. I understand it. It took me 21 years Again, sitting in church, I don't know how much you learn your first couple months when you can't even speak, you don't know your left hand from your right hand, but I sat in church 21 years, didn't know Jesus, didn't know the gospel. But by his grace, it was like the scales fell off my eyes. He did it, I didn't do it. And, and the Bible talks about how God loves his people, the Jews, but in order to provoke them to jealousy, he's first going to go to the Gentiles. But there will be a time when the hardening of their eyes, he intentionally has blinded them, intentionally hardened most of their hearts, provoking them to jealousy. So that as they see the Gentiles receiving the Messiah, they will be provoked to jealousy, and eventually they too will come in and worship Jesus as Messiah. And so Saul's scales fell from his eyes, he regained his sight, he rose and was baptized, and it says, and he took food and was strengthened. And so, friends, I want to invite you to know that our God is a good God. Our God is a God who pursues people, even people that hate him. And wherever you are, if you've made big mistakes in your life, join the crowd. Join the crowd. Our God is not afraid of that. He's willing to enter into it. And he calls you uh, to follow him and obey him. And just as he had mercy on Saul, so he will have mercy on you. We give you this time, Lord. We give you these confirmands, and we ask you to bless them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.